Welcome to Strong Meat for Strong Believers. I'm Pastor Doug Johnson. I want to invite you to join me as we look at the issues facing us today and what God's Word says about them. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 says, Milk is for babies, but strong meat is for grown-ups who can discern the difference between good and evil. At the end of the broadcast, I'll tell you how you can get a copy of this message for yourself. And now, grab your Bible and get ready for another helping of Strong Meat for Strong Believers. Have you ever heard someone say something like, you know, there can't be a God because he lets the wicked go unpunished? Well, it may seem that way sometimes, but as we've learned in this study, there is coming a time when God's judgment will be poured out on all the wicked and they will pay. I promise you, God keeps good records. And this is why Jesus instructed us to forgive our enemies and let God bring justice to us. And even through the judgments in Revelation, we can see how God still tries to get people to turn to him and repent. Now, in chapter 13, John sees two new creatures joining the story. Now, they are symbolic of real people and real events. Now, beasts in the Bible are often symbolic of the power and cruelty of emperors and empires. You know, history is full of wicked, selfish rulers. And Daniel chapters 7 and 8 are key to understanding Revelation 13. So I want you to make a note of that, and I want you to read those chapters later on in your own time. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go there. I will read a few scriptures from those chapters, but for time's sake, I'm going to let you read those, okay? And, and I'll explain to you Revelation 13 tonight and just see how it ties all together. Now, the amazing thing about the book of Daniel, Daniel wrote that book in 600 B.C., hundreds of years before John was ever born. And when Daniel wrote that book, he outlined, especially specifically chapters 7 and 8, he outlines many of history's rulers from Babylon to the Caesars of Rome. And you know, the accuracies of these prophecies is why we can believe the ones in Revelation that haven't happened yet, we will, they will come to pass. Because when Daniel wrote chapters 7 and 8, these were all future empires for him. But for us, they are history all of them have come to pass except one, and that's one we're going to talk about tonight, and that is the Antichrist. Now, when the Antichrist rises to power, he's not going to call himself the Antichrist. He's not going to come on the scene and say, hey, I want to introduce myself. I'm the Antichrist. Y'all probably heard about me, maybe read about me in the Revelation. He's not going to do that. Uh, the word anti means to be against or the opposite of. So the word Antichrist simply means that when this ruler comes on, on board, he will be against and the total opposite of Christ. Now, the word Antichrist comes from the writings of John, the beloved disciple. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, John says this, Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. Now, what John was saying is there was a lot of false Christs in John's day, just like they are today, and he was warning his readers not to follow any of them. Now, I want to give you a clue right here, right now, on how you can spot a false Christ, okay? It's real simple because we've actually talked about this already, but I want to give it to you real quickly. One way to know for sure when someone is a false Christ, in other words, that he is not Jesus, as we've already learned, when Jesus comes to rapture the church, 
He's not coming to earth. He's coming in the clouds. And those that are dead, those who have died in Christ and gone first, they will awake out of their graves and they'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Then we which are alive remain shall be caught up together with them and we will meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So if there is someone who comes to you and says, I am Jesus Christ and his feet are on the earth, he's not the right one. Hallelujah. That's a simple way to, to spot a false Christ. Whoever they are, whatever they are, if they're standing on the ground, he's not Jesus. Because Jesus is not coming back to the earth until way, way, way at the end of the tribulation period. And so we'll get to that later on in another study. But as we can see so far, you know, don't follow any Christ that is on the earth. But when the Antichrist comes, this Antichrist is going to be totally different from any of the others that John was talking about, that any other false Christ we've ever seen before. The Bible calls him many names. They call him the man of sin, the son of perdition, the lawless one, and in Revelation 13, the beast. So let's begin with Revelation 13, beginning with verse 1. And I, John, stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority." Now, that's kind of a, a weird image of the Antichrist, isn't it? The way that John sees this beast and the way he describes him. Now, horns in the Bible represents power. And he's got a lot of horns. He's got ten horns there. Uh, heads in the Bible represent leadership. He's got seven heads there. And crowns represents authority. He's got ten crowns there. So the Antichrist is going to be a powerful leader with a lot of of authority. That's basically what this image is telling us. Now, the Antichrist will be a man who will claim to bring peace to the earth. Now, he will accomplish something that nobody else has ever accomplished, and he's going to bring peace to the Middle East. No one has ever done that before or yet, but he is going to accomplish it, as we've talked about already. Uh, he'll sign a peace treaty with Israel and the Middle East there, but it's only a ruse, it's not going to last. And he will break his promise halfway through the tribulation period. So he's got ten horns on his head. So what do these ten horns on the beast's head represent? Well, the Bible actually tells us plainly in Revelation 17, verses 12 and 13. This is what they tell John in Revelation 17, verse 12. And the ten horns which thou saw are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet but will receive power as kings for one hour with the beast. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. So the Antichrist is going to receive not just regular leadership authority, but he's going to have the leadership and authority of ten kings in the world. They're going to all give their power to him. Now remember, this is after the rapture of the church. The whole world is going to be thrown into utter chaos when the rapture takes place. The Christians are going to go to heaven, 
And then, all of a sudden, the judgments of God are going to be poured on the earth. The Antichrist is going to step up, take leadership. And so the world is going to be in utter chaos. And when the Antichrist takes, the, takes power, he's going to tell them, listen, I know what to do. Get behind me, and I'll lead us out of this chaos. And everybody gladly gives their power to that one man. My friend, he will make Hitler look like a schoolgirl. This man will be more powerful than any world leader that any has ever hit this world before. Now, in verse 2, as we read it, verse 2 actually refers to Daniel's prophecies of kingdoms in Daniel's chapter 7 and 8. If you, whenever you read those, you'll notice that uh, it talks about the kingdom of Greece and the Medo-Persian uh, empire, the Babylonian empire. That's what Daniel talks about in chapters 7 and 8. Now, the Antichrist is going to rule in a similar manner like those did. And, and notice that in, uh, in verse 2 of Revelation 13, it says that the dragon gives him his power. Now, who was the dragon? You remember who that was? It was Satan, right. So the dragon in Revelation is Satan. So Satan gives the Antichrist his power. So he is being controlled by Satan. He has supernatural power. And now he has all the leadership power of the entire world under his feet. Wow. This man is going to have all authority, and that's why John saw him as having seven heads, ten horns, ten crowns on the horns. He's going to be unlike any leader we've ever seen. And so his power comes from Satan. You remember when Satan tempted Jesus in person? And one of those temptations was he led Jesus up on a high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world at one time. You remember that? Remember what he said to him? He said, all these kingdoms will I give you if you will bow down and worship me. You see, he was offering Jesus a shortcut to get all the kingdoms of the world, but Jesus didn't take it. He rebuked him. He used the word of God against him, and uh, Jesus went to the cross, and he got the kingdoms of the world the right way, God's way. But here's the thing. Satan is the prince of the power of the air. And so apparently the Antichrist is going to take that deal that Satan offered Jesus. He's going to have all the power uh, of, the, of the earth under him and all this leadership authority from all the ten kings, and he's going to go for it. He's going to basically sell his soul to the devil, and the devil's going to use him. All right, look at verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, which gave power to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast, and who is able to make war with him? Now notice here, it, he appears to have a fatal wound, and he is healed, or he is resurrected. Now remember, Satan is the great deceiver. So there is a debate over whether the Antichrist actually dies or not, okay? Uh, some say that God is the only one who can raise people back to life, and so the Antichrist just appears to be fatally wounded. I believe he is going to be wounded. I really believe that. The debate is, though, whether he actually dies or not. And so some say, because God is the only one who can bring people back to life, that he doesn't really die. He is uh, mortally wounded, but it's not enough to kill him. And so Satan, being the deceiver he is, he pretends that he is dead, and then he pretends to raise him back to life. Okay? Now, other people say that they point to Revelation 17. 
in Revelation 17, it refers to him as the beast that was and is not and yet is as proof from the scriptures that he does die. Okay, so I'm going to give you that as a homework assignment. You look it up. You decide what you think happens. But either way, here's what's going to happen. Satan is going to mock Jesus' resurrection. That's what he's going to do here. He is mocking Christ's resurrection by restoring Antichrist back to life or maybe even looking, making it look like he's restored back to life. And some folks say he's going to take possession of his body, that Satan is going to possess the Antichrist. And so the last half of the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to be more evil, more wicked than he was in the first half. And he will then set him up, himself up as God and demand everyone worship him. And you know, that's been Satan's plan from the very beginning. Satan has always wanted people to worship him, hasn't he? Because he said he was going to exalt himself above God. He was going to make himself a throne higher than God. And pride crept in and God kicked him out of heaven. But notice in verse 4, it says that the people worship the dragon which gives power to the beast. Now, again, the dragon is Satan. So people worship Satan because of what the beast, the Antichrist, is doing. And that's what Satan has always wanted from the beginning. He's always wanted people to worship him. So people are now worshiping Satan, and they're worshiping the Antichrist because they say, wow, who is like this guy? Who is like him? Who can make war against him? Somebody tried to kill him, and look, he's back alive. Wow, who is like him? The Antichrist. And people are going to buy into it. Hook, line, and sinker. Look at verse 5. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him to continue 42 months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God. To blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If any man have an ear, let him hear. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. And he that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints." So the last three and a half years of the tribulation period, the Antichrist's power will practically be unrestrained. He will make war with the saints. Now, when it says the saints, it's talking about all of those who were saved by the preaching of the two witnesses we talked about last time and the 144,000 sealed Jews that we've talked about previously because there are going to be people being saved because the gospel is going to go forth in the tribulation period. But the Antichrist, now he's got power like he's never had before. And he is going to go and he's going to go against the saints. He's going to conquer them. So it seems like the bad guy wins for a time. Oh, but the story ain't over yet. you got to hang on to the end. But here's the thing I want you to see. Many people go after him. Many people worship him unless their names are written in the book of life. Those who are Christians, those who are saints, who believe in Christ, those who get saved in the tribulation period, they won't fall for it. They will not file for his lies. They won't worship him because they know Jesus is the true King of kings and Lord of lords. 
And so if you're a Christian during this time, you'll have to remain faithful and you'll have to endure the things that we're about to see happen in this study. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endures to the end shall be saved. Brothers and sisters, I pray that all of you are ready to go when the rapture takes place. If Jesus comes back tonight, are you ready to go to heaven? If not, whatever you do, please don't leave here tonight without making sure everything is right between you and God. Look again now, verse 11. Here comes another beast. Verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him, and causes the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. All right? So this second beast is the false prophet. Now, once again, Satan is mocking Jesus because you remember John the Baptist was the prophet who prepared the way for Jesus. Now, Satan has a false prophet who's going to prepare the way for the Antichrist. You see, Satan wants to be like God so bad that he tries to copy everything God does. He's not very creative, is he? Satan has never created anything in his life except chaos. And confusion. That's the only thing God, Satan's ever created. He's, not, he's a creative being himself. He can't create. God is the creator. And so, so here he is. And you know, you've heard of the Holy Trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity. Well, listen, with Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, they make up an unholy trinity. Once again, this is another feeble attempt by Satan to be like God. Everything God has, Satan wants to do it too. He wants to counterfeit it. That's just like the, level, the liar the devil is. And so we see this even with this false prophet coming. All right, look at verse 13. And he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now this false prophet, he deceives the whole world. Now, the whole world meaning those who are not written in the book of life. Those who are saved... They don't believe his lies. They don't go for it. They know that they know they're being lied to. But everyone else believes his lies. And the reason they believe his lies is because of the false miracles that he performs. Now listen, don't get me wrong. Satan does have power. And Satan gives his power to the Antichrist. And he gives his power to the false prophet. And here they are. They're working so-called miracles here. And people are going to believe him. But I want to tell you right here and now. I don't care who's doing miracles. If they tell you to follow them instead of Jesus, don't you believe them. That power ain't of God. It's of the devil. That's why you should not follow miracles. You don't go around from crusade to crusade looking for miracles. You seek Jesus. He's the miracle worker. And if he wants to heal you, he can heal you. Hallelujah. He can heal you in your bedroom. He can heal you in your home church. You don't have to chase people down. God is here with us today. Hallelujah. And so notice also what he does, this false prophet. 
He builds an idol to the Antichrist. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar built that idol, that statue uh, in, in the book of Daniel. Uh, he built it and told everybody to fall down and worship it. The, the false prophet builds an idol to the Antichrist and gives, somehow, gives the idol power to speak. And the idol begins to speak. And he tells everybody to take the mark of the beast. Now, I don't know how he's going to do it. It may be demonic, which is possible. He could very well do it because Satan has given him his power anyway. He could also be using puppets. <laughs> it could be just a giant puppet. It could be artificial intelligence because that is really uh, coming up now in this day and time. I don't know how he's going to do it, but the idol is going to speak. It says it right there. He has power to make the image speak, and he causes all, small and great, to take this mark of the beast. Now, Daniel saw a similar vision to John's of the Antichrist. I'm going to read some scriptures to you from Daniel chapter 7, verses 7 and 8. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth that devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was different from all the beasts that were before it. It had ten horns. You see, that's the same beast we're talking about. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. Now this is how Daniel saw the Antichrist. So I want you to notice, Daniel and John lived more than 600 years apart, but saw a similar vision of the Antichrist. Now, the probability, the mathematical probability of that happening to two total strangers is astronomical. The only possible explanation is these two visions of these two men must have come from God. And that's exactly what happened. Daniel saw the beast, and John saw the beast, and they saw the Antichrist come into power. They both heard them speaking blasphemings and great things with their mouth, and that's exactly what the Antichrist is going to do. Now look at verse 16 of chapter 13. Still talking about the false prophet. And he causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let he that hath understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now again, this is the devil trying to be like God because God has a seal. We've already read about it. He sealed 144,000 Jews in the tribulation period and you and I are sealed by the Holy Spirit today so the devil wants a seal. He's just throwing a little hissy fit so he comes out with this mark, this mark, this seal that he is going to put on all the people that worship his idol. You know, the devil always takes what God does and tries to get his own version of it. He's not very creative. You know, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and reserve the unjust to the day of judgment to be punished. My friend, God knows who belongs to him, and the devil can tell who belongs to God. 
That's why he hates you and me. But you know what? It's okay. I hate him too. Amen. The devil's the only person you can hate and still go to heaven. Hallelujah. But that's why they can tell by looking at you whether you're saved or not. Why? Because we are sealed, marked, stamped by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And so in the tribulation period, the devil comes out with his own seal, his own mark, called the mark of the beast. Now listen to this. By causing everyone to take the mark of the beast, the Antichrist will gain complete control over everyone. He will know what they eat, where they work, how much they're making. Everything will be done electronically, and he will know what each person has. We're seeing that today. We have the technology today. We are the first generation of the human race to have the technology to bring about the mark of the beast spoken of in Revelation. We're the first generation. We can actually see it happen, my friend. It can come to pass at any moment. And so by taking the mark, they'll be worshiping the Antichrist as God and dooming their souls to hell. Those who reject it will have to starve to death. They will not be able to buy or sell or anything because they'll be cut off and they'll be beheaded. It will be a literal choice between heaven or hell, life or death. And my friend, you do not want to be here during that time. Now, I want you to think about it just for a minute. In a cashless society, crime will dissolve because most crimes are committed for money. You think about that. If you do away with cash, crime will drop. The government could net up to a trillion dollars of unpaid taxes because they would know exactly how much money each person made and immediately take it out of their bank account. Now think about this. Now you come across, you can do studies on this, you'll come across all kinds of studies and reports, and, and some, many of them are false, some are true. I'm going to share a couple of them with you tonight, just, just some reports I came across. Uh, some of them, I hope they're all true. I try to research them and find them. But one of them is this, Applied Digital Solutions, also known as ADS, is a Florida technology company. They're preparing to seek government approval for what they call the Verichip which would be implanted inside a person's body and could be used to store everything from secret codes to sensitive medical information. The chip makers foresee it being used to help emergency workers access an unconscious patient's medical history in case of an accident. Now, the company would encode them with the customer's personal information, and, of course, the, the doc, they can go to the doctor, and the doctor can insert it with a large needle device and simply insert it right underneath the skin. Now, I don't know if that's what's going to happen to the Mark of the Beast or not. I'm just showing you that we have the technology now. And what I'm sharing with you is not the Mark of the Beast, okay? Again, there's no false prophet around. There's no Antichrist right now. This is not the Mark of the Beast. I'm just showing you we have the technology now to bring this about. Here's another one. Consumer Reports. Anybody heard of the Consumer Reports? They did a three-month study on radio tags, also known as RFIDs. These tags are in everything you buy in the stores. They can collect data on what you buy. They set off the alarm if you walk out the door and don't pay for it. That's those little tags. And so it cuts down on thefts. It speeds up checkouts in the self-checkout lanes. Uh, that's the reason they use them. They're even used in toll booths. 
the tag sends a signal to the toll booth so the driver doesn't have to stop. You just keep on going. Some of you may have used that on the interstate. you got that little thing. You stick it on your window. Certain cell phones are also equipped with radio tags. You can now simply hold your cell phone near an electronic scanner, and you can buy a hot dog or whatever without even reaching for your wallet. You just scan your cell phone. Boop. It comes right out of your, your account. Now, this is the technology we're talking about. We're using it now. We're using the technology now. Again, this is not the mark of the beast. I'm just telling you, we have the, 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 the fulfillment of revelation is, is in our grasp. We, we can use this. Um, there was even a middle school in Oregon, state and middle school in Oregon, that has recently installed a finger scanner in their cafeteria to speed up cafeteria service. Now, many parents were opposed to it. Because they said that someone could hack into the system and steal their child's fingerprints, their personal information, and so forth. Now, again, these examples are not the mark of the beast. But you can see the technology is definitely being used already. And what does that tell us? Get ready. Jesus could come at any time. That's what it tells us. Look up because your redemption draws nigh. Now, here's the question that everybody always wants to know. Who is the Antichrist? Four years ago, I had a lot of people telling me it was Barack Obama. And you know what I told them? I said, no, it ain't Barack Obama because the Antichrist is going to know what he's doing. <laughs> oh, come on, it's a political joke. Come on now. Come on, you can say that about any leader we got today. Come on now. <laughs> but there are people, there are so many theories out there of who the Antichrist is. Some people, some people actually think that he's going to be Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. He's going to come back from the dead. The Antichrist is going to be Judas. However, there is no scriptural proof that Judas is ever coming back. All right? So that's just a, a theory out there. No one knows who the Antichrist is going to be. The only clue we have is what we read in Revelation 13, and it is his number that is 666. Somehow this number is, will be important in identifying him in the tribulation period. Now again, when it comes to that number, there are so many theories out there. Some have suggested using the letters of the alphabet as numbers, taking a person's name, then adding up the numbers, and that would tell us who the Antichrist is. For example, if you take the name of Nero Caesar and use Hebrew letters, it equals 666. Thus, many people think that Nero was the Antichrist. Well, he's not. Uh, in the Greek, the word benedictos equals 666. So many people thought Pope Benedict was the Antichrist, but he's not. And still other theories have included Richard Nixon, Mikhail Gorbachev, Barack Obama, and the list goes on. Listen to me. Listen very carefully. Be wise. This is the reason the Lord put this in his word and did not tell us who it is. We are to be wise. Don't call every president and every world leader the Antichrist, all right? Don't be doing that because that makes us look foolish. It makes us as Christians look foolish. I don't know who the Antichrist is. He hasn't come to power yet. I plan on being in heaven when he does. Can I have an amen? So it really don't matter who he is. People ask me, well, do you think he's alive today? Well, if Jesus is coming back soon, he would have to be. He would have to be because all the things we're reading takes place within a seven-year period after the rapture. So 
It, I, you know, if, and I believe the signs are all pointing to Jesus' return. I believe Jesus is coming soon. I just don't know when. I'm not going to set a date. No. So be wise. Don't be calling everybody around you the Antichrist. And listen, don't be afraid of using new technology because you think it's the mark of the beast. Again, the rapture hasn't happened. The mark of the beast ain't being incorporated yet. You can use technology. If God gave you the wisdom to use it, he wants you to use it, but use it for his glory. Use it for his glory. But the mark will not happen until the false prophet shows up halfway through the tribulation and builds a statue to the Antichrist. So you don't have to worry about the mark until somebody builds a huge statue, tells the whole world to bow down and worship it, then the mark comes, okay? When that happens, then you can be afraid, all right? If you're here, but I pray that you're not here. But what John does tell us is this. Reminds us that the three sixes... The number six is the number of a man, verse 18 says. you got to remember this. He's still just a man. He ain't God. He ain't Jesus Christ. He is just a man who is being controlled and led by Satan. That's all he is. He is not God. Now, I took a little liberty, and I started thinking about, you know, what would they say to get people to take the mark of the beast. Now, when you think about it, I mentioned to you a while ago how that it would really affect crime. Crime would drop if you had a cashless society. There would be a lot of advantages to having something like this, and the government could really, really put a, a nice spin on this and really try to sell it to people as a good thing. And so I took a little liberty and wrote a commercial convincing people to take the mark of the beast. Would you like to hear it? Now, I'm not, I'm not here to split the church. This is just for fun, okay? But I want to show you, I mean, the devil's a liar anyway, and he's going to, you know, most of the advertising we have today tries to sell us stuff we really don't need, but they try their best to convince us we need it anyway. So I got, you know, I've got a little commercial background, so I thought I would write a commercial to, that they might use or something, they, some selling points they might use to get people to convince them to take it. So here's the commercial. <clears throat> Tired of safeguarding your identity from identity theft? Do you keep losing your wallet and your credit cards? Is credit card debt holding you back from financial freedom? Well, worry no more. The leader is instituting a groundbreaking mark that will forever stop hackers from stealing your identity and you can easily use it to make all your purchases so you'll never have to carry a wallet again except to show off pictures of your grandkids. Come to the Capitol building and show your allegiance to our great leader by having his name or number tattooed on your skin. If you're really proud of him, you can have it emblazoned across your forehead. It can also be placed in the palm of your right hand for ease of use when buying or selling and to be inconspicuous. For a limited time, everyone who takes the leader's mark will have all their debt forgiven. What a benevolent leader we have. Hurry in now to take advantage of this limited time offer. Some restrictions apply. Those who don't will be beheaded. But when you think about it, people will do things for money that they wouldn't do any other time. And having a cashless society and only being able to buy and sell, if you have the mark, that's going to be a huge selling thing. And one of the problems we're having today is identity theft. And with that mark of the beast, your identity will be secure. 
as far as hackers go, but I promise you, a hacker will be the least of your worries. Because as we just read, if you take the mark of the beast, you're dooming your soul straight to hell. And so that finishes Revelation 13. Let's go on to Revelation 14 now. In chapter 14, we're going to see the mercy of God and the judgment of God. You know, it's tempting when you're reading Revelation to focus on one and not the other. But this is God's revelation, not mine. And so we need to read it the way he presented it to John. So let's begin with chapter 14, verse 1. And I, John, looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. Now, John sees Jesus, the Lamb. And he sees the 144,000 sealed ones that we talked about in a previous study. Evidently, their work on earth is finished and they are now in heaven. And they are there rejoicing with the Lamb. And John hears a voice like the sound of rushing waters. I don't know if you've ever been to Niagara Falls or Hoover Dam or someplace like that that's got a huge waterfall. But I promise you, it is the sound of, of a huge waterfall. like It is deafening. And so I can just imagine in my mind what John, how John heard this voice like rushing waters. And he hears a new song. And there's something special about this song because only the 144,000 can sing this song. That means you and I can't even sing this song because this is just the one for the 144,000. You know, songs are powerful things. Music can move us and connect with us unlike anything else. And this, what John hears, is their song. Just like in Exodus chapter 15, Mo the Moses and the Israelites sang a song after they crossed the Red Sea. They said, the Lord is my strength and my song. And you can read it in Exodus 15. You can read their song. Now, uh, this song here is one that's just reserved for them. I want to ask you tonight, do you have a song that you and the Lord share? Do you have a song? Maybe you have several songs. Songs that remind you of where you've been and what you've been through and how good God has been to you and where you are now. Honey, if you don't have a song, you need to find you a song. Hallelujah. Because that song will remind you of what God's brought you through and, and where you are now. And it will encourage you and strengthen you in those dis depressing times, discouraging times. Because the devil will do everything he can to get you discouraged. Hallelujah. Look at verse 4. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. And these are they which follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now the 144,000, for those who missed that study when we talked about them, they represent the 12 tribes of Israel. There are 12,000 of them from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 times 12,000 is 144,000. And these are people, these are Jewish people that are sealed by God that the judgments that come in the tribulation period will not harm them. The Antichrist can't stop them. They're basically untouchable. 
And many scholars believe that they go through and they preach the gospel. Because one of the reasons for the tribulation period is Israel is going to come back to the Lord. They're going to believe on Jesus as their Messiah. So can you imagine 144,000 power-packed, spirit-filled witnesses going through, Jewish witnesses, going throughout the land, witnessing, saying that Jesus is the Messiah. They're going to reach the people of Israel like no one else ever has. Hallelujah. And so here they are. Their work is done. And these 144,000 sealed ones, notice they are unmarried. They are virgins, which indicates their state of separation unto God. And their mission now is to follow Jesus wherever he goes. Hallelujah. Their work on earth is done. So now, verse five, verse 4 says, they go wherever the Lord goes. And so the salvation of these sealed ones precedes the salvation of a larger group of Israelites who will turn to the Lord at the end of the tribulation. Let me read that to you from Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Hallelujah. So that's a prophecy right there from Isaiah about the innumerable harvest of souls that are going to be coming, especially from Israel. Hallelujah. Look at verse 6 now of chapter 14. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment is come. Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. So we go from a song of the redeemed in heaven to three angels delivering three different messages. The first angel we just read, he's carrying the eternal gospel. The angel is talking about salvation. His message is fear God and give him glory. This is God's last call of grace to the world before the return of Christ in judgment. That's what this is. And so that's why this first angel's message is so important. Look at verse 8. There followed another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. All right, the second angel's message is the fall of Babylon. Now, it's talking about not necessarily the city of Babylon, but the worldly system that is set up against God. The spiritual system, the spiritual state of the world at that time set up against God. And we'll talk more about that in chapter 17, okay? So I'm just going to leave that right there for right now. But basically what this angel is saying, it's all coming down. You need to let go of this. God has given them one last chance to repent because they're seeing what they have been trusting in falling down around them. All right, look at verse 9. The third angel followed them saying with a loud voice, If any man worships the beast and his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand." The same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. 
And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receives the mark of his name. The third angel's message, if anyone receives the mark, they will experience the same judgment as Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. The wicked will be tormented in the lake of fire forever with no hope of annihilation or restoration. In contrast, the righteous will have rest forever. Hallelujah. Three angels, three very important messages before everything comes down. You know, even today, people will go to Las Vegas, and a man could throw his whole life away on the roll of a dice, and yet they gamble anyway. Some do it for the thrill, some do it because of an addiction, and we're seeing the pretty, a pretty similar thing here in what we just read. Here is God warning them ahead of time of what's going to happen, and yet people still gamble with their souls and still choose to follow the Antichrist and the false prophet, knowing ahead of time what will happen if they take the mark of the beast. And notice the angel said that their torment will never end in the lake of fire. In that fiery furnace, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 13, verses 41 and 42. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be weeping or wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, I want to say this. There are some people who will tell us that hell is not forever, that we will burn for a little while, and then we just burn up. We get annihilated. Well, listen to me. The same Greek word that is used for eternal life is aeonios. It means without end, never ceasing, everlasting. Now, that's the word they use for everlasting life in the Bible. Jesus uses the very same word for both eternal life and eternal torment. It's the same word. So if someone believes that eternal punishment is only temporary, then they also have to believe that eternal life is only temporary because you can't have one last forever and the other be temporary because it's the same word describing both of them. Or as the annihilists like to believe, that they'll be burned up and cease to exist, but the Bible does not teach that. My friend, hell is so much worse than even human words can describe. No wonder Jesus spoke so much about it. Jesus doesn't want anybody to go there, and neither should we. That's why we should tell people to repent of their sins and put their trust in Jesus. You see, they can either have the wrath of God placed on Jesus on the cross, or they can have the wrath of God upon themselves. And that's what we're seeing here in the tribulation period. And the bad news is this, that even in eternity... Sinners can never pay off their sin debt because sinners can't pay for sin. It takes a righteous sacrifice to pay the price of sin. That's why no matter how good we can live in this life, we can never be good enough to save ourselves. Why? Because without Jesus, we're sinners, and a sinner can never pay their sin debt. It has to take the righteous Son and Lamb of God, amen, who paid the price. And so, my friend, the choice is yours. Jesus paid the price on the cross. You can let him bear the wrath of God and punishment for you, or you can bear it yourself. 
Listen to me. Don't bear it yourself when God's given you a way of escape. And that's what we're seeing here of these messages from the angels. Look at verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints, and here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. You see, the saints will be able to endure knowing that God is going to punish their enemies. Assurance that God will punish evildoers is what sustains the faith of those who are persecuted. And my friend, God's people will overcome in the end. Hallelujah. Keep your faith in God. Those who are coming against you, God will deal with them. I promise you, God will deal with them. Amen. You may not even have to wait for the tribulation period. He can deal with them now. But whatever you do, don't hold a grudge and don't hold bitterness in your heart because that may keep you from going the rapture. You don't want to do that. You don't want to be left behind and live through this stuff we're talking about. Let it go, forgive them, and let God handle them. God will take care of it. Hallelujah. Look at verse 14. And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, Thrust in thy sickle and reap, for the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar which had power over fire. And cried with a loud cry to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in thy sharp sickle, and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered the vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden without the city, and blood came out of the winepress, even under the horses' bridles, by the space of a thousand six hundred furlongs. Now, in the natural, if you've ever planted a garden, planted a vineyard, or planted something, you know that harvest time comes after a long waiting period. Uh, you spend more time planting the seed, tilling the ground, weeding it, hoeing it, fertilizing it, watering it, watching it grow. You spend more time with all of that than when harvesting. When harvest time comes, you have got to harvest it then or you'll forfeit the harvest. And so harvest time comes after a long waiting period. And just like you know what kind of tree it is by looking at the fruit on the tree, you know if it's got an apple on it, it's an apple tree. If it's, a, if it's got a pear on it, you know it's a fig tree, right? Wrong. If it's got a pear, it's a pear tree. You know the tree by the fruit it bears. And so the saint, what's true in the natural is true in the spiritual. So right now, God is letting the good and the wicked people grow up together. The wheat and the tares are growing together. But then harvest time comes, and they are gathered in, and the winepress of God's wrath is poured out on the wicked. That's what they're talking about. Now notice this. Blood comes from the winepress of God's wrath. Now, apparently, this is a reference to the battle of Armageddon in Revelation 19, and we will get into that later on, when the blood from the slaughter of them will go 180 miles, and it will be four and a half feet deep up to the horse's bridles. 
That's how the blood will flow in the Battle of Armageddon. Can you imagine standing in blood four and a half feet deep, 180 miles wide? My friend, the blood of horses mixed in with the large armies of human soldiers could easily cause such an enormous river of blood in the Battle of Armageddon. And we'll get into that later on when we get to Revelation 19. So that finishes Revelation 14, and here we are with the final chapter we're going to talk about tonight, and that is Revelation chapter 15. Now, chapter 15 is a prelude to the seven vile or bold judgments. You know, it's often tempting when you read the Revelation to skip over the bad parts or even ask questions like, can a loving God be wrathful? Well, yes, he can, because God does love us, but he hates sin, and those who choose Darkness rather than light are choosing to walk in darkness and choosing willfully to sin against God. You see, here's the thing. People do not stumble into hell. People do not go to hell accidentally. When we sin, it is a willful, knowing disobedience against God and his word. That's what sin is. And so no one goes to hell unknowingly. No one just stumbles and no one just kind of falls or trips and falls into hell. Those who go to hell, listen, hell was prepared for the devil and his demons. That's what it was prepared for. That's why it lasts forever and ever. Mankind was never meant to go there. If anyone goes to hell, it ain't God's fault and they can't blame the devil because it was their choice that sent them there. And when they stand before God, God is a just God and he is a fair God and he will open up the books and if their name is not written in the Lamb's book of life, which means they they never committed their life to Jesus, they were never forgiven of their sin, if your name is not there, then all God will do is simply pronounce judgment on you. You made your own choice and you've got nobody to blame but yourself. So yes, God can be loving, but also wrathful as well. You may be wondering, well, why are there still more judgments? Surely there's enough. It's already happened. Surely that'd be enough. Well, remember the number seven means completion in the Bible. So first we had seven sealed judgments. If you remember those, that was the first start part of the study, beginning with uh, chapter four and on. The sealed judgments was a world ruled by man, and it was judged. There were the four horsemen of the apocalypse, conquest, war, famine, and death. Then came the seven trumpet judgments, and during that time, the world was ruled by Satan and was judged. You remember the abyss was open, demons were unleashed, and the seventh trumpet, when it sounded, the mystery of God was revealed. The kingdoms of the world became that will become the kingdoms of our God. And now we're going to the seven bowl or vile judgments. And this will be a world that comes under God's rule. This will complete the judgments. This will be the final seven judgments. Look at verse 1 of chapter 15. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, Seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. Now notice, these bowls or these vials are filled. They are full. That means this is the fullness of God's judgment. This will be the end right here. Jesus is ready to rule the world after this takes place. The wickedness of mankind is going to be poured out back on them. Because these bowls have been filled up now. You remember when John ate the scroll? He was told by the angel to go up and eat the scroll. And at first it was sweet to his mouth. 
But when it hit his stomach, it was bitter. That's the judgments of God. That's what's happening here. Look at verse 2. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Now you remember we saw this sea of glass before, at the throne of God in chapter 4. You remember that? But now it's glowing with fire. The sea of glass is glowing with fire. Jesus looks over at the ones who were killed for their faith, the martyrs of the tribulation period, those who would not worship the beast, those who would not take the mark. They were killed by the Antichrist. And he looks over at them and he sees them standing there who were killed for their faith. And Jesus unleashes justice for them. He sees his people who gave up. They lost everything they owned because of their stance for God. And Jesus is now going to unleash these seven vile judgments upon the earth for what they did. And so these martyrs, they sing the song of Moses, praising God for his faithfulness and deliverance, magnifying God's holiness and righteousness, and they sing about God's justice because that's what's about to happen with these seven last judgments. Look at verse 5 now. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. And as we read these last seven judgments, people may wonder, well, is God just? Yes, he is. He pours out the bold judgments because of the wickedness of mankind and the way that they treated his saints with those who would not worship the beast or take the mark of the beast. You know, hatred against Christians is increasing even now. More people are dying for Christ today than ever before. They tell us that 65% of Christian martyrs have died just in the last 100 years. Of all the Christians that have died throughout the human race, 65% of them have happened in the last 100 years. My friends, that's why we forgive because God has promised that he will avenge us. He will repay. The Bible says in Romans 12, 19, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. My friends, they will stand in judgment before God for what they have done to you and to your family. And that's why when we forgive, you're not turning them loose. You're turning them over to God, and God will handle them. So is God just? Yes, he is. Is God fair? Yes, he is. He sent two witnesses 
to preach for three and a half years. He sent angels to warn. He sent 144,000 sealed ones to proclaim his message, to give people warning after warning, and still they would not repent. So is he fair? Yes, he is. Is he just? Yes, he is. But what about hell? Is hell fair? Yes, it is. In the book of Ezekiel, God personally responds to that question. Because in Ezekiel, they accuse God of being unjust. And here's what he says, and I'm closing with this. Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? What he's saying here is this. You are judged according to your own ways. Why will you die? In other words, why will you go to hell? Your own choices send you there. Your own decisions send you there. Why? Why will you choose death over life? Why would you choose hell over heaven? It doesn't make sense. And that's what God is saying. You see, it is so much easier today to believe on Jesus as your Savior and receive forgiveness of your sins than it will be in the tribulation period. So make sure that you are ready to go when the rapture takes place. And as I spoke this morning, let's live with conviction. Let's become convinced living for God is the right way to live and Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. So the lost people around us will be drawn to Him when they see us living by convictions. Amen. This has been Strong Meat for Strong Believers. If this broadcast was a blessing to you, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at revivalfire29 at yahoo.com or call me at 964-5333 and visit Raven Assembly of God's website at ravenag.org and find out more information about our church. This is Pastor Doug Johnson reminding you to keep your head up. God is on your side. And join me next time for more Strong Meat for Strong Believers.